This podcast is not suitable for work. If you're under the age of 18, kindly and with all due respect, get the fuck out. I mean it. Go on. Bye-bye. Mm-mm. See you later. This isn't for you. Nope. Mm-mm. America has a strange relationship with sex. We're obsessed with it, but it terrifies us. We censor it because it's constantly being shoved down our throats. But our dirty little secret is we like things shoved down our throats, especially when we're in bondage or we're wearing leather or being slapped around a little bit. And, oh, <clears throat> I'm Sunny Megatron. Join Ken Melvoinberg and I as we explore, dissect, and demystify American sex. Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness, American Sex, with Ken Melvoin Berg and Sonny Megatron. This episode of American Sex Podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash podcast. The AS is for American Sex. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash ASPodcast for your free audiobook. Hi, friends. I'm Sunny Megatron. Hi, friends. <laughs> Shut up. I'm Kevin Voidberg. <laughs> I was trying to sound like I had some uh, enthusiasm. Not that I don't. Not that I don't have a reason to be enthusiastic because I love this podcast and I love our listeners. But I was just trying to overemphasize to make people feel good. So we were having an interesting talk earlier today with a friend of ours who was wondering like what it must be like to have a partner in a podcast in like in life and in endeavors. And I told that person, well, when you have a partner like me, it can be a little rough because I can be an asshole. And Sonny assured her that that is correct. Although on the surface, it looks like I'm amazing and incredible. And I am supportive in some ways. You are amazing and incredible. But, but I'm also to, an asshole. Yeah, you have to cut through all the bullshit to get you, to you, you have to cut through the bullshit to get to the incredible and the amazing. But I am, however, willing to change and adapt when I finally recognize. And it might take me three years to do it. I'm a fucking aircraft destroyer, motherfuckers. And it takes an aircraft destroyer. A long time to turn around, but once you're there, you can destroy cities. Right, and so I'm also, just saying. Also, the I'm thing just about saying. the thing about aircraft carriers is they're long and hard and full of semen. They really are. <laughs> that's true, and that's me across the board. <laughs> Hello, listeners. Oh my goodness. We got an email today from a fan asking a sex question that we'd like to answer on air anonymously, of course. Mister Anonymous asks, "Hi, Sonny." I watched the G-Spot instructional video you posted on your site. Fucking hot. I want to do this with my wife, but I'm not 100% sure how to bring up the topic. From a woman's perspective, what would you recommend is the hottest way? Should I just buy the oil and set up some towels and just tell her I've got a surprise for her tonight? Should we watch the video together? We don't watch open together now. Or send her the vid to watch her on her own. Let me know, Sonny. Thank you. I like your anonymous voice, Ken. Thank you. <laughs> so I have lots of thoughts. You sound a little creepy when you do my anonymous voice, though. Do I really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, go ahead. So first of all, just for listeners, the article that Mr. Anonymous is referring to is an old one that's on SunnyMegatron.com, and it contains a link to a hands-on, not-suitable-for-work video where someone is demonstrating how to give a G-spot orgasm. So with that said, my first thought is, 
Never, ever, ever, ever make this kind of thing a surprise. Now, for some people, G-spot stimulation can be uncomfortable. For a lot of us, it feels like we're going to pee. And if we're not used to that, there's a lot of like psychological like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm going to pee. This feels weird. I got to get through it. Stuff that we have to get through. And for some people, it can even be traumatic if they've, let's say, had a G-spot squirting orgasm before with a partner and this this has happened and they squirt and then their partner's like, oh, gross, you peed. So for some people, yeah, that can be a little traumatic, not something you want to spring on someone. Another thing that I really want you to think about is to reframe your focus to be about consent first. So you want to try this and it's super duper hot to you, but does she want to try this? Maybe she want, Maybe she's in total agreement with you and she'll be like, yeah, that's cool. But you don't know until you find out. So again, not something you want to spring on your partner. I would suggest bringing up something like this outside the bedroom. If it's a little thing like, you know, when I'm eating her out today, I'm going to do something a little different with my tongue. That doesn't really require a bunch of conversation. But something like G-spot play or a, a sensation that she is really not used to feeling might require some conversation. So bring it up outside the bedroom, make it kind of a new, neutral thing. Maybe be like, hey, kind of the truth. I stumbled across a, an article on a website about G-spot stuff, and that seems really cool. Do you want to experiment with it and start the conversation like that? You know, end up doing some reading together or go to a G-spot class. Ken and I teach G-spot classes all the time. We're actually teaching one at the Rochester Erotic Arts Festival, we'll just the first weekend in April, we're teaching. And we're probably going to be teaching some around Chicago, too. So watch our website. But you can make it a date night. There are many ways you can go about learning about it. You can even maybe when you're in the car, play this podcast episode. And then when it gets to this part, you can look at her and be like, honey, that was my question. Do you want to experiment with G-Spot Play? Or, you know, you can if you, you could be like, that's totally not my question. But damn, they have a good idea. So what do you think about G-Spot Play? There are lots of ways you can bring it up. So another thing I want to bring up about G-Spot Play, it can be a lot of fun for people who want to engage in it, but it's not really a magic button like a lot of people lead us to believe. And because the misconceptions we have about it, we have to reframe and deconstruct what we think about the G-Spot. The G-Spot isn't complicated in and of itself, but all the kind of mental baggage a lot of us have around it is. So that's something that's important to remember, too. Now, I want to uh, just sort of give everyone a reminder, as always, that not everybody with a G-spot is a she or a her. Uh, you can be a he or a him or a they or any pronoun that you use to self-identify. So just keep that in mind that not all people with G-spots identify as she and her. Now, do you have a sex question that you need answered? If you want to hear me use my awesome answering voice, do you have issues that you need advice on? Leave us a voicemail at 773-MUFFTOY. That's 773-M-U-F-F-T-O-Y. If your question is selected, we'll play your voicemail on air and answer your question. And real quick. Okay. So our friends over at Off the Cuffs podcast, it's a kink and BDSM podcast. Dick Wound and Minimus Maximus are the hosts. Love them. Love them. Love them. They have a new podcast. It's called Being There, and it comes out on March 1st. So it's described as a podcast devoted to exploring the extraordinary aspects of everyday people's lives. And the first episode is about Minimus Maximus and his tales of being raised in a cult. 
So at the end of this episode of American Sex that you're listening to right now, after the interview, but before the outro music, Ken and I are inserting a five-minute preview of being there so you can get a sample of Minimus Maximus's cult experience, which is kind of fascinating. And if you'd like to hear more, look up being there on iTunes or most major podcasting platforms. Now, the interesting thing about this is that Sonny actually has something in common with Minimus Maximus, and not that you were directly like raised by a cult per se, but you were involved in Scientology, or rather more specifically, your mom was involved yes, in Scientology. my mother was a Scientologist. It wasn't as intense as some of the stories that you hear. I'm not saying Scientology isn't as intense. My mother's experience wasn't as intense mainly because my mother was one of the poor Scientologists. And I, I felt really <laughs> sorry for the poor Scientologists because they were, you know, this was like 1982 and a book was maybe $120, you know, one of L. Ron Hubbard's books. And they'd be like, I've been saving up, you know, minimum wage back then was like $2.80 or $1.85. Did she not have enough off. medichlorines in order to achieve the no, maximum but it's status like they of were, enlightenment? They would all talk about like, one day I'm going to get clear and I'm going to get to OT3 and I'm going to, and they really believed believed and they scraped up all their money and they never got anywhere. And I feel like the Church of Scientology just kind of like walked all over them and concentrated on the people with money. And I just felt bad because they had all these like empty hopes and dreams that they never climbed the bridge. They never got clear. They never got OT3. None of that. And on a happier note, listen to the podcast being there. <laughs> now, on American Sex Podcast, we do sex toy giveaways every month. This Much month... better than Scientology. You want a sex toy, not Scientology. <laughs> this month, the February giveaway is provided by our sponsor, Castle Megastore. It's an Ambi by Lovent's smartphone-controlled vibrating bullet. This is an amazingly strong bullet vibrator that you can control with a smartphone from anywhere in the world. Yep, you, yes, you, listener, can invite anyone with the ability to download a smartphone app to control your toy. A long-distance lover, a total stranger, it's up to you, but make sure you get consent. You can enter to win at SunnyMegatron.com slash A-M-B-I-Ambi. We draw the winner at the end of the month. Good luck, listeners. Also, don't forget, you can get a 50% off most items at Castle Megastore when you use the code SUNNY, that's S-U-N-N-Y, at checkout. And it's big welcome and heartfelt appreciation time for our new Patreon supporters this week. Pamela and S, that's the letter S, I assume it stands for your first name. You joined our Patreon family this week. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it, guys. Listeners. If you follow our Patreon page, you can get bonus stories from our guests absolutely free. So on our Patreon page right now, we have hilarious stories from people like Joanna Angel, Asa Akira, Mistress Snow Mercy, Allison Moon, Belina Williams Haas, like a bunch of people. And most of these stories are absolutely free. Just go to our Patreon page, which is Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash American Sex and click follow. That way you can not only hear all the stories, but get notified when future stories are posted. And if you do choose to support us monetarily on Patreon, you're going to get some extra perks. You'll get access to episodes early and a lot of other perks too. And the more you pledge, the more perks you can get. But I have to say, even the $1 monthly subscribers get some pretty good perks. So you want us to perk you, baby? We have so many perks support us on patreon and we're gonna perk you good oh yeah we're gonna perk you so hard <clears throat> okay 
Also, don't forget to subscribe to American Sex Podcast on your favorite podcasting platform and leave us an iTunes star rating or written review because that kind of support doesn't cost you a thing and it really helps us out too. So very early on in uh, one of our earlier American Sex Podcast interviews, we mentioned Man of Mystery. Kevin Patterson. And that's who we're talking with today. So we're really excited about this episode with Kevin. He is absolutely amazing. He's a great sex educator. He is definitely a poly role model and has actually become an author writing about poly role models. Without further ado, let's listen to Man of Mystery, poly role model, and super duper human being who has great taste in comic books, Mr. Kevin Patterson, Esquire. With us, we have Kevin Patterson. He's an active member of the Philadelphia polyamory community. He's been practicing ethical non-monogamy since August of 2002 after opening up a relationship that eventually became his marriage. In April of 2015, Kevin was inspired to start Poly Role Models, an interview series for people describing their experiences with polyamory. Poly Role Models is part of a drive and desire to change the way our lives and communities are viewed. It's currently the most diverse and inclusive platform for polyamory available. To continue the discussion of polyamorous representation, Kevin has extended the blog's work into nationwide speaking engagements about how race and polyamory intersect, and this has led to writing the book, Love is Not Colorblind, Race and Representation in Polyamorous and Other Alternative Communities. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Hey, wow. That that almost makes me sound like really interesting. You, well, you are really are interesting. interesting. <laughs> yeah, you are really. And I'm I'm really glad. And you said you listen to the podcast. I screw up the intro so many times. I actually didn't fumble over my words. And I this is a first. I know. Yeah, you you nailed it. I sound I sound I sound so much better than like I, than I feel right now. <laughs> well, dude, this is totally the year of the Kevin. Like everything that you have going on this year, it seems like there's accumulation of all of the work of you've been doing is like starting to really super blossom and come out. And I just wanted to say congratulations on all of the stuff because it's even more than just being an incredible author. You have uh, just so many things going on right now. Uh, congratulations. Thanks. Well, you know what that means. Uh, I, I kind of have to go out on top. So I'm, I'm taking this time to announce my retirement for the, for the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> oh, damn. All right. <laughs> So there are so many things I want to talk to you about, but I think first and foremost... Oh, wait. I have something very important I have to ask him. So, And I want you to correct me if I'm wrong on this, but is it true that you went platinum in Skyrim? I did go (laughs) platinum in Skyrim and Fallout 4. And Fallout 4? Okay, so this is just a huge, like geek envy thing that's that's fucking incredible man like sony's looking at me like what the fuck are you guys talking about i don't play those games so i don't have a gamer boner right now i'm sorry i'm I'm having gamer do you know how hard what he did was that's a very difficult task well anyways go ahead kevin it only took me 181 hours jesus christ that's some dedication (laughs) man and and it's very admirable wow i have no i have no idea what's going on but i have gamer compersion for both of oh. you. So. It was like if he did World of Warcraft and did all of the feats. <gasps> okay. If he, did, if he got every World achievement in the game and did all of the things with all of the lines. And, uh, and what kind of a character build did you have? Um, I had a uh, unarmed badass. Like, there's a very, there's a very deliberate and very um, stringent sort of way where you can put all of your wep- or all of your powers into being unarmed. So basically it was just me walking around punching dragons in the face. That's awesome. Nice. What race did you have? 
Red Guard because of course. Red Guards are black people. Yeah. And, you know. and they're awesome. Yeah, and like obvious. Like I, I went the low the low hanging fruit on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you do for Fallout? I'm sorry, Sonny's looking at me real all right. So let's stop talking about gaming stuff and let's get on the actual <laughs> interview. I can talk about this later. All right. So yeah, I, I am very happy for both of you. <laughs> I hope that sounded sincere. <laughs> but I'm I am also very excited about this book. I know we got like a a galley copy and I've had a chance to kind of flip through a little bit of it, but not, I haven't had a chance to digest as much as I wanted to, but even like pouring through the chapters, I was like, Oh, 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 Oh. So tell me, why do we need this book? If we've got the ethical slut and like opening up by Tristan Terramino, why does the world need another polyamory book? What is your book got that those books don't? Well, the, I mean, the, the books you mentioned, which are great books, and like Opening Up is uh, actually the book that got, sort of got me started when I started doing my research uh, into polyamory. Like, basically, when I found myself in polyamory and I didn't want to fuck it up and find myself back into monogamy, the first book that I read was Opening Up, and I'd love to m- meet Tristan Taramino one day. But the difference that, I, that my book is is that those books are polyamory books, and my book is a sociology book with polyamory as its focus. Um, you're not going to find a lot of 101 information there. You're not going to find like how to go out on a date or how to open up your relationship. What you're going to find is, you know, a lot of information about why people of color might not end up at an event, why they might not end up in a community, sort of the barriers for entry that people of color face and why it's important that we address these things. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's pretend that I am a white person in the polyamorous community and I'm sitting here all happy with, I don't know, my Starbucks coffee and my pink pussy hat on. And I think I'm really inclusive and I have no idea why, why do I need this book? I'm totally inclusive. Everyone's welcome at my events, but you know, they don't really ever often show up, but you know, that's on them, not on me. So why does this person need to read your book? (laughs) Because, Everyone, basically, the the words that you just said are the words that everybody says. Like, I, I feel like you're reading from somebody's script, and like that's that's unfair. That's cheating, and you should be feel bad about that. Um, <laughs> no, you know why though? I've always been told because I'm mixed race and I'm I'm more white presenting. I'm the mole, so I hear huh. all this stuff, and then I'm like, oh, and I go report back. So yeah, I'm the, I'm the racially <laughs> ambiguous mole. They're like, oh, are you Hispanic? <laughs> So forget everything I just said. Your 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 contribution is valuable, and you should be honored amongst all of us. <laughs> but what what I'll say is like uh, a lot of people feel like just you know hanging up a hanging up a welcome sign is enough, and it really isn't. Like there's a lot of planning you can do in terms of where are you holding your events. I've I've been to events where they're on the side of town where people of color aren't. They're in places where. Um, like they're in places where people of color don't go or they're expensive in a way that um, groups that are traditionally marginalized by way of class, which is people of color mostly, they're not going to find their way to like the fancy brunch across town, especially if they have to pay for babysitting or something like that to make that happen. So like classes, class ends up being a factor. Location is a factor. Um, sort of the crowd that you generate. So even if you're not trying to be exclusive, you can be passively exclusive without even trying. So, you know, your, your, your example with the pink pussy hat and the welcome sign, 
they don't realize what mistakes they're making. All they know is they haven't barred anyone at the door. So they feel like their work is done. Mm -hmm. Obviously, all of this information had to have come from your own experiences in the poly community. And I would assume that you started encountering these things very early on. So tell me about some of your experiences in the community that inspired you to become a leader in the community and do this work. And actually, if I could add one thing to that, can we talk specifically about forced ambassadorship? That's one thing that I really loved about the book. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I'm going to start with very early on. And by very early on, we're talking 10 minutes into my first my first event in my local community. Um, you know, there was some misunderstanding with uh, the polycule of somebody I had dated some time ago, and I didn't hear all of it because it was a loud, noisy place, but it was something, 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 something racist joke. Ha, 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 ha. It's cool. It's not like they're a racist. And all I know is I just got othered like 10 minutes into my very first event and it made me want to leave, but I toughed it out and then just kept coming to events and, you know, sort of never, I never stopped being loud about why I was at events and never stopped being loud about being one of the few people of color at those events. And it just sort of turned into a bunch of other things. Um, As far as forced ambassadorship, I mean, it's something that people of color know all the time. Like whenever you're anywhere in the world, somebody's going to ask you for your black opinion on something. And my black opinion is just my opinion. Like my opinion is going to be black regardless because of who I am and sort of how the world around me has, has shaped me. It's, you get it, you get it with polyamory as well, because you can be like the only polyamorous person in somebody's life. You know, you've got a monogamous friend, you've got a monogamous set of friends. You might have like monogamous coworkers. And when you're the one polyamorous person out of the group, they're going to get, you're going to get some weird questions. You're going to get some othering tactics and it's always an uncomfortable place, but it's something that people of color already know about because it's not just, you know, I'm the one you know, like I might still be like the one black person at the, at work. I might still be the one black person um, at the bank or going to school to pick up my kids or something like that. You know what? And I think that it's great that you have a, a like, there's two things that I loved about your book. First of all, it was a great read. I love the geek references oh, thank you. Uh, and the references to 1980s bad movies. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of where my head I, my head floats there pretty often. <laughs> and I love it that you have um, some great quotes from other educators. In fact, there was one um, not not a quote, but a whole story from uh, Black Pomegranate. Yes. Uh, so Mr. Mr. Black of Black Pomegranate specifically, uh, and I thought it was great that you had other educators like involved with this as well to get their opinions on this because forced ambassadorship is something that I think that everybody needs to be more aware of. It's an issue that. Like, um, a lot, me as a white person, like I would have never thought about this when I was younger. And now it's something that's part of our daily life. And I know that like, I can't, you know, I, I don't go to anybody for a specific opinion about an entire group of people. That's just silly to me. And then it becomes, then it becomes the issue that you can't really react to it in the way that sometimes feels natural. Like forced ambassadorship is a thing. And sometimes I might get upset about it. And if I get upset, then 
the the pre-established stereotype of the angry black is also a thing and like there's a part there's a portion of the book where uh dirty lola of sex at a go-go and the the life on the swing set podcast talks about it it's so easy to get riled up over these things and sometimes you feel like if i get riled up no one's gonna hear me because they are they're already waiting for me to get riled up they're already Mm -hmm. waiting for me to be the angry black that they that they're that they've been expecting this whole time right right you can't win you can't exactly. win if you if you if you let it you know just let it slide don't say anything you're feeling othered and marginalized and awful and then if you speak up it's like oh he's pretty angry i knew it yeah. <laughs> like, you know? no need to get yeah. emotional kevin right right <laughs> although i love like lola has taken that and like run with it and actually yeah. her facebook live videos when she is angry i fucking adore like she is one of my personal superheroes she's yeah. just absolutely amazing she's blossomed so much since she started getting into all this and she's like gonna to be like a multimillionaire someday i know it i just know that she is right i, I just hung out with her last night she is one of uh, we, we we had a workshop about race and polyamory up in brooklyn she is one of my favorite people i mean she is absolutely brilliant yep mm-hmm. agreed yeah and for listeners listening along you're like who is this mysterious lola i believe if i'm recalling correctly she was our guest on episode six i in, think in which we refer to the mysterious person in that episode as kevin patterson the Ex- mysterious exactly. kevin exactly patterson. you've come up a lot of times kevin we finally, we finally it's like everything all circles back all I mean, right I, I came up la- i came up uh the last episode i listened to with uh ruby Bowie johnson Yes. Oh, yeah. You're always you're like you're you. You know how like there's the Kevin Bacon of the entertainment world. I think we need to make a Kevin Patterson of the like <laughs> alt sex poly world. I'm okay with this, and yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a big fan of Ruby as well. Ruby is one of the strongest people I know. Um, she killed it at Poly Living Philadelphia this week, and like I'll never stop speaking her praises. Wow. Yeah, she is fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, I we really just get, got like, yeah, to know all her, the talk but... about serial killers and stuff. I like she is such our kind of person. Mm-hmm. So now, some of the other things that you address in your book, you have a whole chapter dedicated to white feminism. And I know a lot of white women who are gung-ho feminists. And and yes, I do make my snide remarks about pink pussy hats, and I'm not going to apologize for that. (laughs) Um, But there are a lot of white women, you know, and I think a lot of the problem is you don't know a life that you don't know. Like yes. they have no idea that they even have blind spots because it, it these things aren't a part of their lives. It wouldn't ever be things that they would even think about or a thing. And then when they find out that they're like, that's a thing that happens. And then they cry you know, on behalf of whatever's happening. So why is white feminism a problem in, in not just polyamory, but kind of in everything um well i mean i, I want to stop and like just sort of define it for anyone who's who's unaware but like white feminism isn't just feminism as practiced by white people it's uh feminism without regards to uh people of color without regards to uh trans women to people with disabilities uh class and gender identities the problem is that it's limiting you know and it's a frustrating thing for me personally because like the reason i understand feminism and I, i'm not like an expert or anything i get a lot of shit wrong but the reason i understand feminism is by way of race where i i once saw a woman who was being treated 
by a man in the same way, like it felt the same way that I get treated by white folks when I speak about race. This woman was being treated when she was speaking about um, her experiences with misogyny and rape culture. So when I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, well, I understand your oppression by way of my oppression. So when people can't do the same thing, it gets really frustrating when they can't see like, oh, well, let's kick your race issue down the, down the line a little bit and focus on on let's make let's talk let's make this a global issue and by global they mean white you know it's an issue in polyamory because when it comes up it comes like it narrows our view it narrows our scope like the the books that people love and they're great books like i don't want to take away anything from any of them but like the books that people love are like we just mentioned opening up and ethical slut and polyamory in the 20th century and cunning minx's book and and uh more than two those books, and again, these are great books and they deserve all the credit that they're getting. Those are all written by white people, primarily by white women. And that limits the scope. So when I go up to my black friends and say, hey, I'm polyamorous. And the, the first thing they say is, isn't that white people shit? And you're not going to get any representation, any resources, any community that's going to dispute the fact that it's white people shit. So now like, that ends up being something that people of color can easily box themselves out of because they don't feel like it's a place for them when it absolutely could be. So I have so many other things I want to talk to you about. They're all floating around my head. But what we need to do is we need to take a break really quick. And when we get back, I want to talk about mm, like the current political climate and how that's affected polyamory and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff that was in my head that went out. But I will remember it while we're in the break and then we'll talk about it. <laughs> I know you're fancy, and I know you've been eyeing some of those luxury sex toys, haven't you, you frisky little fox? Well, I also know that you enjoy a good discount, don't you, dear? You now can get 20% off your entire order, plus free shipping, at luxury sex toy retailer Lalo.com with discount code SUNNY. Yes, dear, you heard me right. 20% off anything your little heart, or, well, <clears throat> other parts, desire at Lelo.com using discount code S-U-N-N-Y. Yes, dear, you can thank me later. Castle Megastore. Once you see their sex toys, you'll want more. I have no idea if Castle Megastore actually has a theme song, but I really dig Castle Megastore. So that's my gift to you, Castle, your very own theme song. And you listeners get a gift too. If you go to CastleMegastore.com and use discount code SUNNY, that's S-U-N-N-Y, when you check out, you will receive 20% off your order. That's amazing. Castle Mega store. When you get your sex toys, you'll be on the floor because you'll be using them so much and they'll be so awesome and you'll save so much money. You'll get more than one and then you'll climax for a really long time and you'll just be passed out and you'll be like, oh my God, give me water. That was the best orgasm ever. And we're back with Kevin Patterson. No, Kevin, I have something that I needed to ask you about. And again, it's a geeky thing and Sonny's going to roll her eyes at this, but um, I want to kind of bring a geek factor and combine it with the book and things that I, I think you would know about specifically. Is there a good comic book company, uh, either DC, Marvel, or an independent that does a good job portraying racial identity in a more accurate manner than any other comic book company does? Is there one that's doing a good job? 
Oh boy, I, I'm I'm not as boned up on the job as I used to be. I hear good things. I'm going to say I hear good things because I don't know for sure. This is just what I hear. I hear good things about Tanahasi Coates' run on Black Panther. Oh yeah, like I hear they I hear they. It's not just that they have black creators, but they they go very specific. I I've heard that like they've done things where um, royalty, like royalty, is portrayed as darker skinned Africans versus lighter skinned Africans. Like it's sort of the reverse of the light skin privilege that uh, that we have here in America. That like you know, Dirty Lola uh, talks about a lot. So I, I like that that they're very intentional with the way they portray black folks. It's not just we write white folks and color them black and, and think that that's okay. It's an interesting side note that I think that the Black Panther movie is one of the first ones that almost completely sold out more than any other comic book movie in history to this point. Ken, I bought 10 tickets to that movie. I am blacking out my theater. <laughs> my, that's local, awesome. my local theater in Philadelphia next week, and um, next week, Thursday the 15th, that very first showing, um, me, my wife, and a lot of members of our local community, Philadelphia, we are we are bringing all of the black folks to to Black Panther, and I'm all about it. Yay! That's awesome. And that's the last geeky thing I'll ask, Sonny. Okay, okay, no, so. that's fine. That's I'm, <laughs> but I wanted to know. We got our tickets to Black Panther too, so I'm excited. We this did. Is we got, what I'm yeah. excited about. We are excited so, about yeah, Black yeah. Panther. I mean, if we're being geeky, uh, are y'all ready for Ready Player One? Because I'm I'm pretty excited. Uh, is it a movie? I didn't even know it was a movie. Where have I been? I just read the book. Yeah, it comes out in March. Steven Spielberg is directing. Oh, my God. Is Will Wheaton going to be in it? He's got to have at least a cameo. He's, I would assume he's had. A, he's going to have a cameo at the very least. But the the I love the ending of that movie where uh, – and I'm not going to like spoil it for anybody, but there's a lot of unexpected stuff. And there's some there's things about race in there that nobody expected as well. Yeah, because, of, because yeah. of the avatars that are involved. So I won't look at, like, it, but I thought it was a great read. Did you- I, I really enjoyed the book. I mean, like from what I hear, it's a terrible thing to read, but I really enjoyed the audiobook of it. And I was, like you said, there was an identity thing towards the end. And when I heard they were making it a movie, all I wanted to know was who are they going to cast to handle that part of the of the story fuck and, yes and when they and when and the person that they cast was perfect and i cannot wait for it i will i can't wait to check it out myself online so sonny go ahead okay i, I oh, so apologize wait my eyes were glazing over all right <laughs> <laughs> you don't all know right. you all don't right, know boys, boys that was cute you had no and i'm being like kind of gendered on purpose because my next question is you and, and, and Ken as well, you are men in the sex ed business. And that's actually rather rare. I mean, men kind of, you know, have other industries cornered. Um, but sex ed really isn't one of them. And then on top of it, you are a person of color, a man of color in the sex ed business. So how has that either impacted you negatively or been a plus for you? How, how do you move in this space differently than other people do? Or other educators do well as as a man i realized that like there's there's a power dynamic there's a power dynamic involved and like i get it in a lot like that's sort of a thing that i do like i i, I date a lot i sleep with a lot of people and i always have to sort of recognize like where is the power structure here like it am i am i hitting on somebody who will feel uncomfortable saying no to me i've made i've made mistakes in the past like well before i started doing any of this uh any of this wizard stuff like back in my muggle life i've made some mistakes that i i regret and i'm always sort of careful about not repeating those same mistakes 
And that's that's something that I always have to sort of navigate. Um, as a black man, I realize that my visibility is really important. I don't mean for it to be like I'm not like I started. I, I I kind of started something of a movement without really trying to. I was just talking about myself being black in polyamorous spaces, and when I realized how few people were talking about that same thing in these same sex ed spaces, it sort of be it sort of took on a life of its own. Poly role models ended up being the most inclusive um, platform for polyamory, not because I was specifically trying to do that, but because there was so little representation that any little bit of representation that I could scrape together ended up uh, beating everything else that was available. So that sort of makes my visibility important in that other people can see other people see a black guy doing doing these things and they jump right on in. What part of my experience, part of what led me to start speaking and start writing was that I would be one of very few people of color who would show up regularly to events in Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is about as high of a percentage white as it is black. So it should be even. So if I'm the one black guy or one of very few people of color, that shouldn't be. And when I started talking about that, and when I started showing up to events on a regular basis, more people showed up. Because they, you know, they they'd at least see me. They'd at least know that I was vocal and active and trying to have a good time. And they wouldn't leave because I was there too. And does it make then you being that I don't know, you know, beacon in your community or leader in your community and so visible? Does that make the ambassadorship thing even more difficult? Or are you now kind of like legit? You are an ambassador. Like, how does that work? Yeah, and that's that. That's the opt-in for me. And like, to be completely honest, I was going to show up regardless because I wanted to date and I wanted to socialize. But when when I would hear about people who said I felt more comfortable when I saw you there, or I wouldn't go back to events with the community, but if you were hosting something, Cab, I'll show up to your house for that thing. Then it became an opt-in process where it, where I became an ambassador just because. I didn't want other people to feel as awkward about it as I did. And real talk, I wanted more, I wanted there to be more black black women available for me to date because I date a lot. And don't get me wrong, I love my partners. I love my white partners as well. But like, can can a brother get a sister? <laughs> Things have changed over the years and in a lot of different ways. And I you, you touched on like being a man in this community and being aware of the power dynamics and you know the privilege that you have as a man over of you know women or other people that you might be dealing with. So now that we're talking about that in a larger scope cuz we've always kind of talked about that in alt sex communities, we're you know a yeah. little bit on the forefront. But now it's like grandmas around the dinner table starting to talk about it with a season sorry and you know harvey weinstein and me too and da, 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 da. Yeah. but do you see yourself because now this has become a bigger conversation do you still see yourself or even other people in the community still sort of evolving and trying to get to that ideal and unlearn all of the past bullshit that we were raised to believe that's really not cool i mean i'll say this uh the 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 people that I spend a lot of time around, the people in, in my communities, for the most part, are people who are working towards being better, like knowing better and being better. Um, not everybody, of course, but 
just the people who I sort of feel the most connected to are at least willing to listen to the conversation. Whereas when the Me Too, uh, when the Me Too hashtag got started and when it sort of got revived over the course of, uh, the, the Harvey Weinstein scandal and everything, there were always people who were like, no, no, that, there's no way that could happen as many times as people are saying that it is. The people who are, who I'm around believe women, you know, they, be, they believe survivors and, we have these kind of conversations and it's really important. And like, I always make sure that when I have these conversations, I don't post it, pose it as I'm someone who has never made these kinds of mistakes. Like I am someone who has definitely made these kinds of mistakes. I've, I've written about it on my blog. I've actually put my name on, on huge mistakes that I've made. And it's important that we normalize not just better behavior, but understanding worse behavior and what led to that. I absolutely agree. So now over time, all, you know, that all that's changed, but the political climate, I know I, I would assume that you had to have seen some sort of changes going on just with the, the group of people in your community when, you know, Trump started running, then he got elected and all this stuff is happening. What kind of impact have you has have you seen that have on people and attitudes in your community? I don't want to use the word militarized because that, that has sort of a negative connotation, like a, like a violent connotation. But it definitely opened a lot of people's eyes. Um, there was a brilliant Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock skit. Uh, on Saturday Night Live, not too long after the election, where it was a group of white folks talking about like, oh, wow, yeah, the de- you know, Democrats are definitely going to win this. You know, we might never elect the Republican president again. They were all smug and anticipating Hillary Clinton's win. And then when it went backwards, there was Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock in the background saying, well, we already knew. We tried to tell you. This has been, you know, like knowing that America was going to opt for racism and misogyny and oppression we already knew that. Yeah. And, and so like as 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 a black man in America, there's a lot of I told you so that happens. Mm-hmm. And now it's good to see our friends, our white liberal friends who would have voted for Obama a third time sort of coming to the conclusion that it's not fucked up now. It's been fucked up. And now mm-hmm. at least they're being mobilized to do something about that. Right. I remember seeing that skit and it was like, I mean, I was just like, oh, that was not a fun time. But when I saw that skit, it was kind of like a cathartic release, like, oh, my God, I'm not the only I told you so person. And I was laughing my ass off. But then I was also kind of like, oh, shit, you know, we're all kind of in this boat together. But I remember that skit so well. And I just had the biggest laugh of you know, weeks of, of not a good time. Yeah, yeah. So do you also see, cause I know a lot of people are now feeling mobilized and they're feeling, you know, rah, rah, I'm going to get involved. I'm protesting for the first time. I'm speaking out to my aunts and uncles on Facebook that say racist things for the first time. Like people are rah. Do you see a lot of people like talking over people of color or talking for people of color or trying to hit the mark? And then it's like when people make a high five and they totally miss hands and you're like, oh, you tried, <laughs> but it's not like, do you see that happening? I, I see that. And like, I try not to get too angry at it 
depending on the reaction when I say something about it. The reaction to me is always super important, where if I say like, hey, you're doing this, and I know you mean well, but you're doing this wrong. If if someone stops and listens, mm-hmm. then we can have a conversation about it. But people's natural instinct is to get defensive, dig in their heels and say, no, I did everything right. Everything right. you know, you can't tell me how to you can't tell me how to speak. I'm not hurting anyone with this harmful language that I'm using, and then it turns into a fight. And Her, my one black friend said it was okay. Yes, <laughs> I've already I've already told all of my white friends. If for any reason you need to check me in as the one black friend, do not, or I will not be that friend. I don't even care. I, I don't care if you're trying to say like, "Hey, my one black friend said the sky is blue." If you tag me in, I'm going to tell you the sky is purple, and you need to fuck off with that bullshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Kevin, yes. I've heard some really good things recently that happened with you. Uh-oh. At the, no, good things. Like good, It's not like <laughs> wink, wink, and finger quotes. You know, really, actually good things at this Poly Living Philly thing, a workshop you gave. So, tell me the good things I heard. Um, I gave two workshops at Poly Living Philadelphia. They both went really well. Uh, one was transcendent. Like the, like, the first one was actually about... Uh, a section on my blog called Cautionary Poly, uh, Teachable Moments in Non-Monogamous Relationships. And it's the second year I gave, I've given that with Alana Phelan of um, Polyamory Hub of Philadelphia. And that went really well. Mm-hmm. But I also did one called You Let Her Do What? Examinations of Masculinity <laughs> in Polyamory. Oh, even that title, even title I was like, awesome. my. well, I'm going through menopause, so like my three chin hairs and my boob hair like stood up on end, like, what? What kind of workshop is this? So tell me, because that title does get a reaction. I mean, it's a question that I've gotten so many times. Like, yeah, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm polyamorous, I'm non-monogamous. You know, my wife also has partners. You let her do what? It's it's such a common question that we get, and we started talking. We started talking about uh, about doing this workshop, and it was myself, um, Christopher Smith of the Tenability Movement, um, and uh, Polyamory in the Black American, Bex Caputo of the Dildorks, and Aaron Brown, who's a uh, uh, part of the leadership team in Philadelphia, our local community out here. Mm-hmm. And it went really quickly from discussing topics of masculinity to discussing ourselves and what we've done, like the work we've had to do, like sort of unlearning a lot of toxic behavior, um, sort of embracing emotions, embracing the idea of having metamors who are also men, being that society tells us that like other men are supposed to be rivals and enemies. And, you know, we're sitting there trying to embrace these other men in our shared partners' lives as teammates you know mm-hmm. as brothers and that's such a weird place to be when you've been sort of driven driven through society's sort of a uh, heteronormative patriarchy do, do you say because i'm a woman so i don't hang around all the guys and you know talk about what what y'all talk about do you see a lot of men entering into the poly community that maybe or couples that end up crash and burning because they can't overcome this or you know do they have to go through a lot more to get over some of these hurdles because i know i know a lot of couples where it's like the attitude is or curious couples maybe not couples like in the poly community but like you know 
we'll do a threesome and my wife can make out with another chick. Yeah. But, and I, I can see other chicks on the side, but, you know, no, she's not seeing a guy kind of thing. And is, is that a very prevalent thing that you see or hear about? It, it's the most common, it's the most common, it's so common in polyamory that it's cliche. The idea of the unicorn hunters, couples, uh, het passing couples who, um, who are looking for the stereotypical hot bi babe to add to their relationship. It's such a common thing that um, what what will happen is if you go to like send any polyamory Facebook group, there will be a guy or a, or a guy or a girl who jump in and say, this is what we're looking for. This is the kind of triad setup we're looking for. And they end up getting trashed mm-hmm. and they get really upset. They don't understand why people can't see, you know, see what they're trying to to accomplish. They don't understand why people who are supposed to be like-minded and love-centric can't respect the choices they're trying to make. And what those couples don't almost, almost never understand is that the people who are trashing them are the jilted ex-girlfriends of triads, like the ones they're trying to create. Mm. And there's the whole idea of, you know, the one penis policy a lot of it's based so much in homophobia. It's based so much in transphobia that you know that um that it, it requires a lot of unlearning, a lot of toxic masculinity, unlearning of that to 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 make it happen. I had a guy once tell me that um the reason he didn't want his female partners with other guys is because it would change her aura or it would to her DNA in a way that would affect their future kids. And and like th- these were the these were the reasonings he was giving me. These are the reasonings that he gave himself. The reasoning that I gave him was you don't want her to get dicked down real good by somebody else and leave you forever. So let's stop <laughs> let's stop pretending that there's some scientific basis to you being scared of other dicks. Yeah, and I'm one thing that I always ask guys like that. I'm like, do you like hetero porn? And they're like, yeah, I love hetero porn. I'm like, do you like watching a girl get fucked with a flaccid dick? And they're like, no. I'm like, so you like hard cock? And they they really have a hard time equating that because it's not an attraction to the man, but they like to see the act. And I don't think they can get beyond that sometimes. But it's one of the things that we've done. That, I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, I... I it's 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 something that like sort of society doesn't teach us to think about. I mean, society caters to us men so much that the idea that, and like it, it also caters to the idea that other men are predatory. It caters to the idea that other men are are enemies. Like there was this meme going around um, that I saw that said like the worst thing a man can do is let another man make his woman laugh. His woman, you know, like oh, he owns her. No, oh, Jesus. No. Yeah, and there's there's so much of that that people get into polyamory because it seems like a good idea, but they don't want to have to do a lot of the introspective work breaking down the kind of things that make those situations so toxic. Mm-hmm. Like there's a legion of angry angry triad girlfriends who will tell you about yourself if you're willing to listen. That's the best band name ever. Angry triad girlfriends. girlfriends. Yes. <laughs> legion of angry triad yes. girlfriends. <laughs> Nice. I like that. Um, so then, all right, because I know there's people listening right now who are in, you know, a heterosexual couple who are looking for another girl. And they're like, 
but we're not like that. We just legitimately really, yeah. you know, my wife really like, like they, so how do you have give. somebody see, how do you make somebody see like, no, you are doing the thing? Or is there any ever a situation where it's like, oh, you there? You're, you're actually not doing the thing. You're cool. Like, I mean, the, the reason, the reason why, the reason why they, they, they look for it as hard as they do is because it's an insecurity shield. Where and it's an insecurity shield almost primarily for the cishet guy in the situation, where if if his if his wife or girlfriend is having sex with another woman, homophobia dictates that that's not really sex, so there's no reason to be afraid of it. Right. And, so, and by the way, it's hot, right? It's okay. It's so yeah. natural. Women, you know, women are naturally bisexual. Haven't you heard that, Kevin? Yeah, and women having <laughs> sex with women—it's it's entertainment for guys. Exactly. You know? and, exactly. Yeah. So they don't actually have to like think too hard about it. They don't have to actually examine. Um, they don't have to be introspective at all. They can just fuck hot bi babes and say, "Yes, this is what my life is like." What I would say to people who are not having luck finding that hot bye babe that they're looking for, A, be introspective, own your shit, understand that like the reason why you're searching is the reason you're searching this way and you're so rigid to this structure is out of fear and insecurity of dicks. And you don't have to do that. You can work your way through that. Mm-hmm. And also date separately. Like I did a lot. I've I've started triads by accident just because I was dating one person and started dating someone else who was into the other person I was dating. I've started triads by accident. Like I, you know, it's you can't ask somebody this stereotypical hot by babe to fall in love with two different people equally and evenly, simultaneously, and to fit into a set of rules that you set up without her input. So instead of doing that, date separately and let whatever happens, happens. Let go of that fear. I just, ha- I had a vision. I had a vision because I've been reading all of these things in the media about sex robots. They need to make a sex robot unicorn. Then people can have what they want. <laughs> <laughs> a, a Would fr- people yeah. be happy then, huh? <laughs> a, a friend of mine said uh, a couple of years ago, and I've been saying it ever since with her permission, um, that she had gotten together with a couple once and they pull out this huge box of toys. And that was the moment when she realized that she only got to sleep in the bed because she couldn't fit in the box with the other toys. <gasps> That's a really good analogy, but it makes me really sad. And, and really you, you hit the nail on the head. That's what it is. They're looking to objectify someone as a human fuck doll. Yes. They're not, you know, taking into account their feelings, their autonomy, any of that stuff. They just want like, we want a hot chick to fuck together and then she can go home and then we can cuddle together and go, wasn't that nice? You know, we experienced yeah. a new thing. I love you so much. So you can tell I'm better a little bit. Am I better? Do I sound better? Hey, you know, you can, you can, you can start a, a league of evil, of evil exes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like that. I like that. All right. So... We're actually almost done, which is sad because there's so many more things. But I want to find out all about your book. I know it's in pre-sale right now, and then you got a tour happening. So what's going on with all that? Uh, well, yeah, you you actually said it all. So good night. <laughs> <laughs> Give us the details, Kevin. Well, I the- made the outline. You fill in, <laughs> fill in the details. 
Well, again, the book's called Love's Not Colorblind, uh, Race and Representation in Polyamorous and Other Alternative Communities. I have a book tour. There was there has been a long crowdfunding campaign that's actually wrapping up in a couple of days. And so that, that crowdfunding campaign is bringing me to uh, Tucson for Southwest Love Fest. I'm going to be in Toronto for Playground. I'm going to be all up and down the North, uh, the Pacific Northwest. I'm going to be up and down the East Coast. Um, my Facebook page, Poly Role Models, at, um, which is just facebook.com slash Poly Role Models, has like all of the events where I'm going to be. And I mean, it's, it's going to be sort of an all over the place thing. I feel like the work that I've done, uh, in the local area here, has changed the landscape, and I'm hoping to bring that conversation to other places to change the landscapes there as well. Yay. Well, I'm excited to see, you know, in a year's time, all the awesome additional work that you're going to add to your already awesome body of work. So thank you. He said he's retiring, didn't he? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. You're retiring in your big mansion. Uh, It was the Lakers. Yeah, that's it. That's more. It's it's more. It's more true than we're letting on here. I'm 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 ramping it down at the end of this year, but this year I'm going basically balls to the wall. That's awesome. What is it like a supernova or whatever burns brightest before it dies out or something? Yeah, that is that exactly. Okay, Kevin Patterson burns brightest (laughs) supernova before it. Yeah, (laughs) super Kevin. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been awesome. And for those listeners listening, we're going to have all of Kevin's information about his book, the, you know, and links to where you can see the tour schedule on the Facebook page and all the social media right on SunnyMegatron.com or on American Sex Podcast. And for those listeners that aren't listening, go to the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, thank you, Kevin. Thank, thank you, Kevin. you. Thank you. Had a great time doing this. Bye. Later. Hi, everyone. This is Dick from Off the Cuffs, a kink and BDSM podcast. And this is a little five minute preview of my new podcast called Being There. Welcome to Being There, a podcast devoted to exploring the extraordinary aspects of everyday people's lives. I'm Dick. And I'm Kelly, and this is episode one, Being in a Cult. What's so interesting is that this is a part of your life that I know about, but I know very, very little about. Well, I was I was just a kid when it happened, so I don't know how, <laughs> how great I'm going to be talking about it. It's all right, just, you know, okay. we'll just get into what you remember and... Okay go from there all right yeah i mean i guess i guess for this one we should Mm -hmm. just kind of like right out of the gates just be like so you were born into a cult i was born into a cult (laughs) yes uh that's very true uh my parents were followers of the bhagwan shri rajanish who was then known as the bhagwan shri rajanish is currently known as osho even though he's been dead since the 80s yeah uh the osho organization is still active unfortunately but um and um yeah, so I my parents were members of this cult before I was born, and uh, I was born with my, you know, I have an actual birth legal name that's on my birth certificate and my driver's license, and I think my parents always kind of had some foreshadowing that <laughs> this would not be forever, because thankfully the name on my 
you know, birth certificate is not Swami Anand Virajana, <laughs> um, which was the name I went by for the first nine years of my life. Yeah. That's um, a long time. Yeah. Very, mm. And the formative years, too, where yeah, you really exactly. connect with that name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did your parents meet in the cult, or did they no, join it together? they joined it together. Uh, okay. My parents were, like, you know, hippies, and they, they, they had tried a bunch of different stuff. They had followed other Indian gurus. Um, I think Scientology, because my dad was an actor in New York in the 70s, so probably Scientology was in there for a little bit. It makes sense. Yeah. Very popular things to go together. Right. There are, you know, uh, other, like I said, other Indian gurus and like Eastern philosophies. Um, but uh, yeah, so they were, right. Can you can you give us a little bit of the background of the cult? I'm, I'm sure. I was going to say I'm pretty familiar with a lot of cults because mm-hmm. that's the weird things I'm interested in, but I want to hear about this. All one. right. Well, if you were uh, cognizant in the 80s, you probably remember uh, this cult. This was the commune in Oregon where everybody wore red um, and, you know, waved at the Rolls Royces that uh, followers had bestowed on the leader. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, so the leader was this Indian immigrant who called himself the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. I don't remember his actual legal name. Um, who had this philosophy of like free love and uh, the idea that the world was going to end. I wouldn't say we were a doomsday cult per se, but there was always this uh, underwriting philosophy that uh, the world was going to end, but the followers would be safe because they knew the one true path. Mm-hmm. Um but it wasn't like like uh, Jonestown or um, Hell Bop where they were like um, preparing for that. You know, it was just enough. Right. If you lived in Oregon or in the ashram in India, you'd be safe. Uh, but it was like this this weird mix of Indian philosophy. It was a lot of. What's funny is um, people will still be. There are people that are still critical of the actual practice of the cults, as rightly so. Who will say that he did write some of the definitive uh, the definitive guides on medi- uh, meditation? Um, the Skepticopedia actually suggests that you shoplift his books on meditation because they're good meditation guides, but you shouldn't give money to the Osho organization. <laughs> um, so if you liked what you heard, uh, please subscribe to the show now. Uh, we have a five-minute trailer episode, which is just me and Kelly talking about why we started the podcast. And episode one, which is the little clip that you just heard, will be out on March 1st. Uh, You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Pocket Cast. And we will be on many, many more players. We're updating those uh, right now. Uh, You can also go to our Twitter or Instagram at BeingTherePod. And you can check out a link in our profile. There's a directory to more players that we're on. Um, Thanks. Good night.
Thanks for listening to American Sex. To keep up with Ken and I, we'll first make sure you watch our TV show, Sex with Sunny Megatron, on Showtime. Then visit SunnyMegatron.com. There you can learn more about us, read our blog, peruse our workshop calendar, or hire us. For what? Well, either for private coaching, or to book us to teach at your event or university, or as sex and relationship writers for your publication. Oh, and don't forget, we're on social media, too. I'm the super social one, so you can find me as Sunny Megatron on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel, and a bunch of other places. But if you want to get me on Snapchat, you got to look for Sunny underscore Megatron, and you can follow Ken on Twitter at at tag SciChicken. That's P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-K-E-N. Also, please support us by shopping with the affiliates and sponsors from our breaks. And if you contribute to our Patreon, we're going to love you forever. Well, we're going to love you forever anyway, but just go with it. Lastly, if you like this broadcast, tell people about it. Tweet it, Facebook status it, and rate it on iTunes and other platforms. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next week on American Sex.